or for a reading. And this occurs in the Vinaya books, the Mahavagra, the Vinaya, and it's a very brief uh, account of um, the arising of faith in the mind of Sariputta and Mughalana. And this occurs when the Venerable Asaji, who was newly awakened Arahant, one of the first uh, of these five disciples of the Buddha. You know, Buddhist chronology is pretty questionable, but uh, that's the way we have it. Uh, so he was one of the first of these five disciples of the Buddha, and he became an Arahant. And so he's just uh, out wandering, and Sariputta, who isn't a monk then, is a seeker. And he sees this being, he says, oh, your faculties are serene, the colour of your skin is clear and bright. Under whom have you gone forth? Who is your teacher? Whose law do you confess? And so the, the Asaji says, you know, I've gone forth under the Blessed One, who is my teacher, and I follow his teachings. So Sariputra asks him, what is this teaching, the discipline? And he says, I can't tell you in detail, but I'll give you the basic gist of it. And Sariputra says, okay, just give me the basic thing. So Venerasaji told the wanderer Sariputta this sketch of the law, or the law of Dhamma. The perfect one has told the cause of causally arisen things. And what brings their cessation to? Such is the doctrine preached by the great monk. The perfect one has told the cause of causally arisen things, and what brings their cessation to, such is the doctrine preached by the great monk. When the wanderer Sariputta heard this statement of the law, the spotless, immaculate vision of the Dhamma arose in him. All that is subject to arising is subject to cessation. And he says, This is the truth. Even if that were all, you have attained the state where there is no sorrow, that we, for many times, over ten thousand ages, have let pass by unseen. So then he goes and tells Moggallana, same thing. You have attained the state where there is no sorrow, that we, for many times, ten thousand ages, have let pass by unseen. So this uh, is considered very cryptic but radical teaching that Targata teaches the cause of causally arisen phenomena and their ceasing. And it was considered so uh, pithy and crucial that this particular stanza was often inscribed on stupas and slabs and all over Asia or Southeast Asia. And when they took the Dhamma, they took this and they engraved it. This is the Buddha's, this is it. Yeah. And people would recite it. It felt almost it contained all the power of the Dhamma kind of captured in this particular piece, which we might think, uh, well, 
So the causally arisen things are called dhammas, hetu babao dhamma, dhammas that phenomena that arise from a cause with a root. They come into arising into bhava, into being through a root condition. They form. The nature of that root condition is seen, understood, and also released, relaxed, quietened, ceased, however you want to put it. Maybe this gets more interesting. How do you see that? Why do you see it? What is a causally arisen thing? And uh, from the Buddhist perspective, let's say everything. So how do you see everything ceasing? And what's the value of that? Well, look at it the other way. If it doesn't, you're getting into a very congested, conflicting universe where phenomena are seen as ultimate, true, valid, but of course they don't actually last and they contend so right now as I'm sure you're aware huge amount of suffering, destruction death, deprivation occurring over which piece of earth is Ukraine and which piece is not (laughs) something is held as finally this should be this, should be other than that and what is that? Earth? No. Mm-hmm. What's the cause? Is it the earth? No. Is it people? Not really. Power. It's power, isn't it? Search for power and control. That's the cause. And so that designation of territory and The intensity of the feeling around that is really based upon the root condition, cause, power, control. When we actually examine that, what power do we have anyway? Over existence. Phenomena arise. People are born, die at a certain time. We can't control that. We can moderate it. Pain and sorrow, joy and happiness come and go. We can moderate it, we can't actually change it. Being liked and disliked, you can moderate it a bit, but you can't actually change the basic pattern. Who controls anything? Who owns anything? Who can definitely say a thing is this or that? Is a banana delicious or is it boring? Something determines something and makes it a definite thing. And therefore, greed, hatred, delusion arise. Over what the mind projects these corrupting influences. 
onto what sense bases or even just ideas, just notions, designations. I think be extremely powerful. I was at a some reason or this thought arose. I was at a seminar many years ago on on um, on racism in America, and they gave this example of a woman. She was born in somewhere in the south, and she looked like an average, you know, American person, you know. And she noticed on, on, on her identification card, she had a letter C written in the corner of it. What does that mean? It means you're coloured. But what colour? I mean, the skin is kind of light pink. And they somehow they figured that she had one thirty-second part of her blood was Negroid or African or something or the other. They couldn't detect it, the appearance but she had one thirty second, one thirty-two seconds of something. You got took the blood out. There's no colour. The blood is red, like everybody else's blood. It's the same stuff. It's you can't say it's Jewish blood, Italian blood. It's just blood, blood, human blood. <laughs> so where is this stuff? <laughs> not in the skin. It's not, where is this colour? And she said if she crossed to another state, she became white because they didn't have the same designation. <laughs> but if she was in this particular state, this would mean she would get, you know, couldn't get on buses, couldn't go into certain restaurants, certain, you know, restrictions were placed upon her because of this one letter written in the corner of a identification document. Yeah. You know, Hitler thought this was pretty cool because he could only manage quarter with Jews. I think if you're less than quarter Jewish, you'd go away with it. But he thought, wow, they really upped it. You know, he thought it was pretty impressive and still maintaining moral superiority while doing so. <laughs> Designations. What's it about? Why call anybody anything? What does it? Control, fear, aggression, power. Yeah. These are the causal conditions. And of course, the opposite. Non-greed. Uh, loving kindness. And we noticed in this current crisis, you know, where there were these strict borders, this is Ukraine, this is Poland, suddenly, poof, borders open, you're welcome, you're a suffering person, come in. Drop the designations. Which do you want to do? Which seems more wholesome, Dhamma? Yeah. And so we really, you know, this is the kind of Buddhist perspective, and I'm not claiming it to be Buddhist either. <laughs> like nobody else has got it. But this is the, the spiritual, if you like to call it that, or intelligent or most healing, healthy perspective. Look into the deep root causes of phenomena that we take as being objectively true and real. And the 
understanding that's so often proclaimed in, in Buddhist circles particularly, there's no such thing as objective reality. There's no such thing. There's quasi-realities that we handle for the sake of orientation and purpose and clarity and so forth. And we can use those. But always keeping that sense of penetrative, the root causes, and how those causes can be discerned examined and released. Recognizing eventually we are recipients and vehicles for those causes and conditions that will lead to our suffering and the suffering of others or not. And it's constantly occurring It's a constant welling up of wave after wave after ripple after tsunami of that flow that we call mind. Although, you know, that's just the designation too. You call it heart, imagination, awareness, intuition, psyche, and so forth. But it's really, this is what dhammas are. Dhammas are those meaningful meanings, you could say. They're not objective phenomena. They're directly experienced subjective meaning. That changes from person to person. You find this frightening, I find it interesting. Not saying what it is, eventually I have to turn it back to, yeah, is my... The heedlessness, carelessness, attention, goodwill or not. This is what we keep returning to. Meditation experience is this. And I think as points imagine Hings ago was making the other night, you know, what do you call meditation? What do you designate it as? Be careful. You start to create some little box about what you're going to be and what you're going to have and what you're supposed to be as some final, final, ultimate statement. You're in for a big heap of suffering. Sometimes I think it's just peaceful coexistence with the absurdity of what arises. As that means just having goodwill, I'll do that. Don't crystallize around these impressions and in practice this is practice directly experienced realities directly experienced meanings think qualities dhammas qualities that touch the heart yeah. and you see this word dhamma you can see it in English you can write it with a capital D meaning teaching and you can write it with a lowercase d meaning phenomena. Actually, in the old script, there was no lowercase and uppercase. That only arose in about the 8th century in Europe. There were no cases. So it's all just dhammas, meaning directly experienced realities, getting that which is the core of experience.
And we look in the Satipatthana Suttas, then you have this various, you can, it kind of takes you down. These four establishments of Sati. And you can see them sequentially, but I see them more like Russian dolls. You could say one sits inside another. As you drill down, you come and you've got a body. How do you know you've got a body? Directly. You can't see it. Right now it's neither male nor female, old nor young, big nor small. It's just this. What is it? It's a felt, directly felt experience of fluidities, abrasion, painfulness, pleasantness, mobilities. It's, and it's waving constantly, even flux, isn't it? When you get really close to it, with awareness, you can't really say how big it is. And things that other people would see as significant, the shape, the colour, the gender, become, you can't even note, you can't even see them, you can't experience them. There's no shape, no gender to it, there's no age to it. These things have become so fundamental and conventional realities don't even occur. That's what you call ceasing. The wave doesn't even rise up. So making an issue about the colour of your hair or the colour of your skin is like, what, what, what's that? Or somebody else's, what's that? And you go down in the feeling sense, the felt sense of it, then it just as it explains, you know, there until one arrives at just the stripping away of these obtrusive uh, designations. So it just says, there is just awareness to the degree to which one knows there is body. It's neither big nor small. <laughs> it's just this phenomenal experience. And then you come down and you get feeling. And feeling takes you into what is it that feels, jitta. And we begin to recognize that really, uh, at least feeling that we call based upon immaterial feeling, is really just how the chitta shivers. If it shivers one way, call it pleasure, shivers another way, call it pain, doesn't shiver, we don't notice it. Feeling disappears. And that feeling of it disappearing, chitta feels good. <laughs> ah, relief from that pushing and pulling, relief from that surging and waving, neroda. As Ajahn was saying the other night, you know, Niroda ceasing, what does this mean? Does it mean doesn't exist? Not really. Does it mean it kind of virtually exists if you focus on it with a certain attitude? If you want to make something of it, it will rise up. If you don't make anything of it, it dissolves. Yeah. Just like the colour of the walls here, you probably don't even notice it. You could make a thing out of whether it's biscuit colour or could be cream or is it off-white or is it ivory or is it sand or is it... Or you could just say, I don't know, never even bothered. 
Do you mean there's no wall? No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> there's no colour? No, I wouldn't say that. There is a colour? Well, I wouldn't say that either. It does not arise. Here. And so we can actually, we can practice this. Because often, one of the big developments, in my opinion, is to notice not what you find is important, urgent, necessary, crucial, vital, but just what isn't here. Oh. They're open. Because the mind, its root condition, interest. It gets interested in something that strikes it as painful, pleasant, exciting, whatever, that moves it. And where does that take you? It takes you to more movement or fixation. What about if you give attention to what isn't here? What's that? Well, in uh, particularly in, in in Vedic understanding, they made a big thing out of this. They called it zero. That's where the zero came from. You can actually focus on or relax back to zero, which means just open awareness. You could say nature of mind. You could say the nature of the container. You could say that that which knows. Is it here? Well, not exactly. Is it not here? Wouldn't say that. What is it? You can't form an object out of it. And yet, from that place, you can witness and not make an issue and not stir up phenomena. And this is what I'm offering right now as the only way of interpreting what Asaji was saying Sariputta was picking up. You, there can be that mode of mind that does not project fascination, fixation, aversion, struggle, designations. Doesn't do it. And there's no sorrow, no suffering, no struggle. No good, no bad, no attainment, no decline, no coming, no going. How do you do that? Mm. Well, you keep going down to the sutta, you come to the fourth establishment of sati, establishment on these potent meanings. Your will. Negativity, mm. greed, sense desire, sloth, indolence, apathy, can't be bothered, sluggishness, restless agitation, worry and flurry, planning and figuring, proliferating and speculating, yeah. havering and wavering, unable to make a commitment to anything, because it's always maybe this, maybe that. How are these? How does that feel? Suffering, stress. Okay, let's just start clearing those. You can't say any of this is good. But if you don't 
focus on it, we project it out. It projects out. Very normal. Everybody does it, I'm sure. We project it onto other people. Number one object. We project it onto our so-called self. Number two object. We project it into the future and we project it into the past. In the past I was, that has happened to me, therefore I have ill will. In the future they will do this, do that and the other, therefore I have ill will. I have a feeling of aggression and the inferred hostility that will happen to me in the future. I'm feeling nervous and frightened by the inferred hostility that I imagine people are projecting towards me. Nobody really likes me here. They're just too polite to say it. I know they don't. Uh-huh. <laughs> What's that? That's called ill will. We think it's coming from somewhere else. <laughs> it takes many forms. Uh, I remember, I, you know, as a and retreat one time, and I think I was on this retreat, and then generally it was like this morning pudra, and then five o'clock maybe, which is just, what's five o'clock mean? You know, a little number and a clock. What's that mean? So, you know, I get up, and I freshen up, okay, well, I've got nothing else to do, I go and sit, go to the hall, and sit, and it's maybe, I don't know, 4.40 or something on the clock, I'm sitting there, you know, and then maybe somebody got there five minutes before me, so I'm looking at things, who do you think he is? Getting here early, trying to prove how good he is. <laughs> so then five o'clock comes round, bell rings, a load of people come in. Who do they think they are? Just blind parrots, Pavlovian, obeying bells like Pavlovian dogs. <laughs> then somebody comes in at ten past five. Who does she think she is coming in late? <laughs> so I think I could find fault with all three forms. <laughs> uh, something wrong here. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> something wrong here uh, <laughs> do you need to do that do you need to create time do you need to create people can you just find you've got nothing to do so you go sit down quietly and sound arises forms arise so <laughs> what else is going to happen I start designating. I didn't realise how much ill will I had until I became a monk. <laughs> I mean, I never... I, would, I don't think people would call me a particularly aversive person. It didn't manifest. But somewhere in the root of it all, all of us, who may have lived quite reasonable lives, you know, because generally we move things around so we wouldn't get to deal with things we didn't want or didn't like. Once you're kind of open to this situation, then you don't have control. And then one of the things that comes up is mapping out your territory of who I am, what I want, what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do, who she is and who they are, judgments and opinions. Your will comes up. This is Damarawaddi, and particularly in the early days, it was fairly chaotic because we didn't really have a a form to deal with the kind of situation that 
And for Sumedho was trying to realize. It's kind of open center for people. Doors of deathless are open. That was, that was the phrase. Hmm. And so, yeah, open door policy. But this meant all kinds of chaos had <laughs> come in through those open doors. And uh, people just drift in. Good people, strange people, confused people, all kinds of. And generally, where, what goes on? What go, what's happening? What, what are you supposed to do? You know? And so, you know, I'd be doing walking meditation at some corner, and somebody comes. Excuse me, do you know where the? And I go, oh, it's um, oh, it's over there, I think. Oh, okay, get back to my walking meditation. Walking up and down, mindful, mind, being mindful, walking up and down, and. Suddenly a door would bang. Somebody else going, hey, have you seen so-and-so? Um, I haven't seen him today. Walking up and down. Excuse me, do you know where the toilets are? Just over there. Look, there's a sign there. If you look, there's a sign there. <laughs> you know, get so angry and upset. Wait a minute, this has got to stop. So I thought, okay, I'll get right out in the middle of the courtyard where everybody can see me. And I just practice welcoming whatever arises. <laughs> so I take this 20 paces right in the middle of the courtyard and I get halfway down and somebody come along and ask me a question. I just welcome it. I get to the end and somebody else come along. There's a sign telling me exactly what to do and they ask me. And I think, OK, oh, look, like it says on the sign, you can go to the office and it's right over there. Thank you for your inquiry. Just welcome, welcome, welcome. Discuss. I don't want the ill will. I don't care whether I have samadhi. I don't care whether it's right and proper and a forest monk should be doing this and it should be more so. I don't care. I just don't want any more of this ill will. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'll do. I just did that. Yeah. And see, then, you know, you're really looking directly into what phenomena are meaningful. What is the causal condition? And what do you need to do to bring that to cessation? So you see, are people irritating or are they people who need some help? Are they, you know, you know, seekers after truth or are they just some delinquent vagabond? Well, what does you good? You don't need to know. What does you good? You start out with an open. Welcome, clarity, stability. Oh, okay. Take it from there. So you're really looking into the causes of a risen phenomena. Yeah. And so what gives rise to your will? Me and mine. What gives rise to greed? Me and mine. What gives rise to lethargy and dullness? Oh, I can't be bothered. Why should I have to do this anyway at this time? Me and mine. What gives rise to restlessness? Maybe I go right down forward and that. Me and mine. What gives rise to doubt? Well, maybe this, but now I could do that, but I don't really feel like this. Should it be like that? And, oh, 
me and mine. How much is that true? Is that real? Is there such a thing? That lasts, is standing, is substantial, is valid? No. The root cause, ignorance. Ignorance, craving. So this is, this is called insight. You know, you're looking into causes and conditions. Although we all have our meditation forms, useful templates. This is body. Don't make a thing out of it. Don't try to realize something you can't feel. Just feel what it is directly. All this. All this. Body. Sensations, energies, feelings, warmth, pressure, you know, spaciousness. All this is that. Okay? And what kind of relationship to that gives rise to ease? Oh. And pushing, not trying, not trying to make something happen, not trying to get concentrated, not wanting to realize something, just oh, open, steadying, not distracting, stay with it, mindfulness. And so then we begin to sense, oh yeah, this is causing, you know, certain phenomena to, to cease, that are distracting, obstructive, ignoble, degrading, worthless. And it gives rise to openness, brightness, clarity, composure. Well, just do this then. See where it goes. Dhammas lead on by themselves. They lead on. As you stay in touch with them, they lead on. They lead on to further clearance, stress, suffering. So even the idea that I'm walking at a certain point becomes stressful because it implies time, going somewhere, not going anywhere. It's just movement. It implies an owner of it, who's doing it right or wrong and will arrive somewhere. That's, that's problematic. So we're just in that sense of moving and the arising or non-arising of hindrances. And you can cultivate like that. It's getting to the point. I mean, sometimes we get it, seems to me, my, my view, we can get it wrong if we think that our precision has to be on the nature of a sensation. Getting right to that point where a sensation arises. Then you get this kind of, I don't see that as being that useful. To me, what often, when you look at it, strikes you in the face is, I'm getting intense. <laughs> my mind is intense. This is not comfortable. Uh, my mind is trying to make something happen. This is not comfortable. We look into the root causes of rather than objective, what's called objective reality of physical things and sensations. We look into Dhamma reality, just how these qualities are being experienced and handled in terms of hindrances or non-hindrances. You know, if the fret then 
should your meditation path be 20 paces, 25 paces, 30 paces, 29, 28 for each of the Buddhas? You know, should you do it slowly, fast, short steps, long steps? You know, I just, my mind is getting intense. I don't need this. <laughs> just a reasonable amount that fits and a reasonable pace that fits for what I need to dispel now. And trust when the dispelling of unwholesome qualities arises, there's either open clarity, space, or the arising of skillful factors. And this gives us a way in. But as... Um, and Sariputta said, this is a kind of thing that we often miss. That's a pertinent statement. It's so easy to miss the wood for the trees. Get caught up in details. Obsessive. Feeling quite concentrated on that. But there are such things as wrong mindfulness and wrong concentration. And I feel that this is important for us to all personally understand and get a handle on so we can really follow what's true, unwritten, <laughs> unwritten, yet valid for our welfare and clarity. So let's practice, or if you want to call it practice, just keep being here in a suitable way. <laughs> <laughs>